chapter number 9. And again, as uh, we, we dealt with a lot this morning, uh, I'm not going to be able to go and review all of those things, but we're dealing uh, with the subject of election unto salvation, the most hated doctrine. Election unto salvation, the most hated doctrine. Uh, the two things that I mentioned to you that we wanted to look at today or why this doctrine is so hated uh, was number one, it's hated by many churches because it wounds the pride of man and exalts the grace of God. That was the first one. And then number two, the doctrine of election unto salvation is hated by many churches because the emotions of man cannot be manipulated. So really those two overriding thoughts we were considering and those two thoughts as we were thinking about this doctrine of salvation or election unto salvation. We dealt with the first of three points. Uh, the first one was those who hate election unto salvation call it a condemning doctrine. And we looked at verses 25 through 27 of Romans 9 that shows us it is anything but condemning uh, that the electing love of God uh, is exactly that. It's love. It's anything but condemning. So we, we pick up again in verses 28 and 29 and deal with the second aspect of this doctrine of the election unto salvation with this thought. Those who hate election unto salvation call it a cruel doctrine. Uh, it has been said many times that, uh, and again, in, in my experience, it has been mentioned that if God's election, the way you believe it, is true, uh, that would make God a very cruel God. Uh, many of us who believe in the doctrine of election, as the Bible teaches, have heard that response. We've heard someone say, I just can't go along with a God that would be that cruel. At the very outset, we've got to remember uh, none of us deserve to be saved. Uh, the fact that God even redeemed a single person unto himself uh, ought to be a cause of rejoicing. It is anything uh, but cruel to think about how God has dealt with his creation. Uh, God has dealt with man in a way that had he truly held man to what man deserved, uh, there would be no electing love of God. Uh, if God was not sovereign, there would be uh, no man, woman, boy, or girl uh, ever called and chosen unto salvation. However, as the Apostle Paul was dealing with these things, and as we looked at this morning, uh, we talked about how uh, Israel had looked at this and, and believed that if, if uh, all it required was to be the seed of Abraham, and if you were one of Abraham's descendants, then you were automatically part of God's people. Yet Paul showed us that a remnant shall be saved. So we know that there were millions, uh, yet there was only a small number or a remnant that would be saved. Look with me at verses 28 and 29. The Bible says, For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabbath have left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. The doctrine of election uh, far from being a cruel doctrine, uh, it is a cause for rejoicing. I don't look at election as a cause of being cruel. I look at it as a cause of rejoicing. Had it not been for the electing love of God, had there not been before the foundation of the world, then we all understand tonight, had God not chosen to save a people unto himself, neither Jew nor Gentile would escape. 
Again, we looked at how uh, people today have no problem uh, that, that Israel's blinded, but when you begin to tell them what about the Gentiles, what about certain people who, whose eyes are still blinded to the truth, they just can't accept that. Yet we understand today that had it not been for God, had it not been for His choice, had it not been for His election, none of us would have escaped the wrath to come. We read about the accounts of Sodom and we read about uh, what took place in Sodom and Gomorrah and we look at that and we might even be tempted to say something like this, well, uh, those, that place got what it deserved. Uh, be very careful about uh, telling what people deserve or what they should have received, especially those that have received the mercy and grace of God. It is not a cruel doctrine, it is a loving doctrine. The sovereignty of God appears... In the choice, again I, again, I shared with you the story of the man who believed and said that God is not sovereign to this morning. If God isn't sovereign, and we had some good discussion in between services already today about if God's not sovereign, what does that mean? It undoes everything we think about if God isn't sovereign. But the sovereignty of God is connected with the love of God. We say, I have a hard time understanding how these things can relate. When your eyes are blinded to the truth, God appears as a cruel fear monger. He appears to be something and someone that is unapproachable. Uh, remember, God to us is gloriously uh, truth because our eyes have been opened. Had our eyes not been opened to the truth, we would look at God the same way. God is a cruel God. But what, did God, what was God doing? What is, what is Romans 9 teaching us about Israel and teaching us about what happened here? What, why did Israel miss it? Why did Israel miss the way? Well, we've already sung about it this morning. Israel missed the way of righteousness because they sought other means of acceptance. If it were not for God's electing love, how would God accept you? Think about that for just a moment. If it was not for the electing love of God, what would be your means of acceptance? What would you present before God and would say, God, this is what allows me to be received by you, to be received into your presence. Let's all think about that this morning. What would you offer to God? The answer is we'd have nothing to bring. Israel... Like many today, again, we ask the question, is the doctrine of election to salvation met with such resistance and hatred today as it was in Paul's day? I would say yes, the answer is 100% true in that regard. To seek acceptance with God in any other way than through Christ alone is a road to failure. If it were not for the electing love of God and His righteousness, I would not be accepted by God. So the fact today that I'm accepted by God is the direct result of this doctrine of election unto salvation. The result of me trying to seek my acceptance with God through some other means. That's what Paul was mentioning about. Remember, they had in verse number 8 and the earlier or verse, uh, chapter number 8 and first part of chapter number 9, we had looked at how Israel believed that we are accepted in God just because of who we are. We're not accepted in God because of we're Jew or Gentile. We're accepted in God because of the righteousness of Christ. This love of the salvation or election unto salvation is not a result of our own intellectual assent. It is the result 
of understanding that God has indeed opened our eyes to the truth and what really is true. You see, God's sovereignty is in appointing many unto salvation. God's sovereignty is seen even when he leaves a remnant. We often find ourselves saying, but what about so-and-so, and what about this person? How is that possibly fair? Again, if, God, if we're going to accuse God of being unfair, we have to consider ourselves, why are we even in the faith? What did we do to earn it? What did, why would it be right for God to save us? Or what, what is it? It, it, isn't about, it isn't about even being fair. It's about the glory of God. Remember, I gave you the definition of what this doctrine actually is. And remembering that definition of the doctrine that teaches that God, before the foundation of the world, for His own glory and through His, own, for His free and sovereign grace, predestined a host of unworthy sinners to salvation who otherwise would not have been saved. Election is the power and work of God in redeeming sinners for His glory. We're saved for His glory. It's the work of God. His glory. Never should I take glory for my salvation. Never should I give glory to another man for my salvation. God may have used another man to bring me to Himself, but don't glory in that man. Don't glory in that man's intellectual ability. Don't glory in that man's preaching ability. Glory in God that God used that individual to open your eyes. You know, if God was cruel, He would have not left preaching as a means of bringing His children home. You know, it concerns me that preaching has taken such a small place in many churches. Preachers are now told, you know, give us a 15-minute devotional. Give us, you know, we want to spend more time on the emotional aspect. We want to spend more time on the singing. We want to spend more time on the, the things that will make us feel better. And uh, you can have a few minutes to kind of share what's on your heart. Can I just tell you, I'm not sure I like that phrase. I'm not sure that today you actually want me to share what's on my heart because I'm afraid my heart would deceive you. I'm not sure you want me to actually say what's on my heart, what I'm thinking, what, I'm think what my attitude has been. I'm not sure that's what you want. I think what you want is you want the Word of God preached. Because the minute we begin thinking what's on our heart, uh, that might just lead not only ourselves astray, but it may lead a lot of people astray. It's not about what's on my heart. It's about what the Word of God says. That's the problem with election. The heart says, I don't like it. The heart says this is condemning. The heart says this is cruel. But those in the faith say this isn't cruel and condemning. This is the most demonstrated act of God's love I could possibly see. Because why in the world do I see this? It's because of the electing love of God. So God's sovereignty appears in many different places. But Paul, as he's referring to not just Israel, he's referring to the Israelites and the Gentiles. He mentions there in verse 28 about finishing the work. And Verse 29 talks about, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed or left us a remnant to seek God's acceptance through any other way but through Christ alone and apart from his electing love alone is to seek it the wrong way. You say, if election is true, what do I do with what I hear? 
Someone could sit here today and say, if God does it all anyway, and I don't have a choice in the matter, here's the responsibility. Uh, You've heard the gospel. You're hearing repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are called to repent. You are called to believe. If you choose to not repent and believe on Christ, your damnation is settled by your own choice. You say, preacher, I, I struggle with this. I have a hard time seeing how the electing love of God and how a call to salvation to every person arrives. So do I. But here's one thing the Bible never told us to do. To refrain from sharing the gospel with certain people. To not preach the gospel to your church every week. To not preach the gospel to uh, the, the heretic. To not preach the gospel to the person, the open atheist. You know what the glory of God is, is He has given people to stand up and preach the truth so that all the world might hear. All He's called us to do is proclaim the truth and to preach the truth. You know, in Paul's day, that's what Paul was doing. Paul was just preaching the truth, and Paul was not a popular preacher. I doubt today Paul would have been called for many revivals. He would have been not called for many, many uh, revival campaigns or tent campaigns. And not that those things can't have some value, but the Apostle Paul was just a little bit too direct. He dealt too much in this, these doctrines. I can't tell you the last time I heard a revival meeting that was doctrinally sound. I can't tell you the last time I heard a tent revival that was actually doctrinally sound. There was a lot of emotion. There was a lot of things about what God needs you to do on how you need to ask God permission or God's got to ask you permission to save you. No, the electing love of God is the most loving of all because even when you didn't love Him, He loved you. If God stood around waiting for you to love Him, you'd never love Him and you'd never come to Him. You came to Him because of His love. You came to Him because of this very doctrine of the election unto salvation. Verse number 30, as we consider thinking about those who, about election, let's talk about those who love election. What do those who believe it, that the Bible teaches it, and hold it as a dear doctrine think? Those who love election unto salvation call it a saving Christ-centered doctrine. What's the result of all of this? Paul says in verse number 30, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. Now let's remember what the Gentiles were outside of. The the Israelites, the nation of Israel, had uh, that initial special revelation of God. They received the first oracles of God. They received the very first things. The Gentiles were on the outside of that. Yet Paul makes reference to those Gentiles. And he makes reference to the fact that they were outside of that. But he compares the Gentiles with Israel in verse 31. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Basically, the Gentiles didn't follow and try to keep the law the way Israel did, and yet they attained righteousness. Israel tried to keep the law and did not attain it. And Paul asked the question, wherefore or why? Why did they, did Israel miss it? What's the result of all this? The conclusion, very simply, is that the Gentiles who were also chosen of God, called by the Spirit, redeemed by Christ, they've obtained the righteousness of Christ by faith. 
They didn't seek it any other way. They didn't try to seek the righteousness of Christ through the keeping of the law. They didn't try to, to get the, the righteousness of God through some kind of good works. Israel, who had all the advantages, Israel had the prophets, they had the first oracles, they sought acceptance with God by the keeping of the law. They sought acceptance with God in their traditions and their ceremonies and their sacrifices, all of which could not save. Israel sought righteousness by works, not by grace. Folks, the church is encumbered with salvation by works today. We don't call it works, but that's what it is. We are, churches are preaching a gospel that is Christ plus works. They are preaching, they are being preached to about what you do or do not do is going to affect whether or not you are in the righteousness of Christ or not, whether or not you have been saved. Works-based salvation is anything we believe adds to our righteousness. There are literally people get up every Sunday morning and they go to church and they believe that they are, and this isn't my expression, people have used it a lot, they're checking a box. God will be approved. I will not. My acceptance with God is helped by the box. I checked my box off. I was in church today. I'm good for the week. That will hold me. Remember, I started this morning by asking us the question, what is it? Do we, do we really want to know Christ? Do we really want to grow in our knowledge of Him? Or are we just seeking some external means of acceptance? I've told you personally I don't have any desire to just be a good little church. I have a desire for us to grow in the likeness of Christ and the doctrines of Christ and to stand for what the Bible declares to be the truth. Israel sought Christ or sought righteousness rather by some other way, by works, not by grace. They sought it by the deeds of the law and not by faith. Israel followed after the law of righteousness with ceremonies, external rituals, which never could save them. Folks, to seek the righteousness of God by these means is an offense to God. If I believe I can approach God in any of my own self, my own righteousness, Isaiah 64 told us, our righteousness is as filthy rags. In order for a man to be saved, what must a man do? He must put away every self-righteous way or attempt of approaching and attaining salvation. Every self-righteous approach. Whatever I'm trying to do today to approach God for my salvation that is apart from Jesus Christ paid it all, I am going the wrong way. Throughout the Word of God, the Bible condemns man's methods and man's ways. You study the Bible, every time man got involved... And this isn't a giant theological word. It got messed up. Every time man got in the way. Every time man said, my way is better, it was wrong. You think that doesn't get into the churches of the self-satisfying doctrine we talked about this morning? And to be able to manipulate ourselves, there is a way we could do church that would feel much more accepting of our flesh. Our flesh would be okay with that. You ask people now and you, they ask you, how did church go this morning? And you tell them something like, well, we preached on election unto salvation. And they'll say something like this. Oh, that sounds kind of deep. I, our church just talked about how we can have a prosperous day. 
They don't know. They don't know. They're being fed something that the Bible doesn't even talk about. And folks, I understand today, this literally, to many, is absolutely just, we can't even comprehend what you're talking about. But Israel, the very basic, simple idea behind this, Israel was seeking any way to God except for its fullness in Christ. Christ is the only way. The pride of man is the reason man rejects, rebels, it's his pride. If you won't repent today, it's your pride. If you won't be saved today, it's your pride. You say, no, it's God's electing love. No, it's your pride. See, you can get so caught up in wondering, all right, are the elect going to have, and I can't remember who it was, it may have been Spurgeon, he may have made the comment that people are looking for the elect by seeing if they have a yellow stripe on their back to identify who they are. If that's your concern today about identifying the elect, you are completely missing the point. God hasn't told us to worry about the aspect of everything about how the electing love of God works. Here's what he's told us to do. Preach the gospel. So while you're caught up trying to figure out who the elect are, are you preaching the gospel? Are you preaching the gospel at your workplace? Are you preaching the gospel in your school? Are you preaching the gospel in your family? They say, no, that's why we have a preacher. No, we're all called to do that. You say, how do I reach my loved ones? Don't start by the, with the doctrine of election unto salvation. Start by showing them through the Scripture that they're a sinner. Look, I'm telling you right now, if you start off with this kind of stuff, with people who are not in church and have not been doctrinally sounded, they are going to look at you like you've got four eyes. And you're going to say, I just can't get through to them. Listen, folks, I'm trying to ground us as believers in the deep things of God. But you have to understand that that's not what we can just go out and we're not told to go out and necessarily preach the deep things of God. We're told to preach the gospel of God. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. The cruel doctrine says that God didn't give man a choice. It's far from that. You have a choice right now. If you have never come to Christ, come to Christ today, repent and believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is nothing hindering you from that. And if you blame election as the reason you can't come to Christ, you're doing that at your own peril and at your own danger. The electing love of God is not keeping you from Christ. Now, some people are going to look at that and they're going to say, I don't get what you just said. Don't blame it on the election while you're not saved. See, that's what man-centered wants to do. That's what the people that have attacked me about this have said. You're preaching something that men are like robots. You don't understand the Scriptures. They're far from robots. As a matter of fact, all throughout the Scripture, we see men actually following Christ. We see people repenting. We see them believing on Christ. Man's free will is not totally disregarded because of the electing love of God. Man's free will is alive and well. The problem is your own free will apart from the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit opening your eyes would lead you down the path you were going on which was the path of your own self-righteousness and sin and I don't need God. 
So if you feel the need for God today, don't say, election's keeping me from Him. Say, I'm going to repent and believe the gospel today. I'm going to call on Christ. That old cliche, if I had a dime for every time someone told me election prevents and hinders people from being saved, I would be a rich, rich man. That isn't what keeping you from being saved. What's keeping you from being saved is your stubborn pride that will not repent. That's it. That's what's keeping you. Every man who's been saved was brought to repentance. We've watered down the gospel to no longer repentance. Just admit. Just admit. There's a big difference in repentance and admittance. I could admit a lot of things. I could admit to you I'm a corrupt person. Right? I could, I mean, personally, professionally, I could say, look, I, if, you, if you really knew me, I'm the most corrupt. I'll admit it. That's not repentance. But that's what the gospel that's being pushed is. Just admit you're a sinner. The Bible tells me I'm a sinner. What do I have to admit? It tells me what I am. What the Bible says I need to do is not admit. It tells me I need to repent. There's a big difference. Just like I told you, years ago, 99% of every Baptist church in this country would have preached this doctrine. Now that it has flipped. Now you're having a hard time finding a church. Oh, we have a hard time finding churches in our area that even believe this. There are some, but it's hard. We would have been in the majority at one time. Now we're in the minority. It's an amazing thing. I've watched people completely just undo all of this and say, well, this was just, it was just old. That, that's the old way. It's the only way. This has always been the only way. What did Israel stumble at? Verse 31 shows us. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, or why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. The stumbling stone is Christ. Israel stumbled at Christ and His declarations. They stumbled at His clarity of who He was. The perfect fulfillment of the prophecies. Yet today, they still remain in blindness, instead of looking to Christ as the fulfillment of all those types, all those promises, all those sacrifices, they rejected Him altogether. You know, it's possible to go to a church today that doesn't even accept Christ. It's possible to go to a church where you'll never hear the name Christ mentioned. It's been suggested, we preach too much Christ around here too, by the way. Is there such a thing? Is there really such a thing? Can you preach too much of the glorious truths of Christ? I would say you can't. Had Israel believed the prophets, they would have embraced Christ, not rejected Him. They were offended at what Christ said. They were ashamed of the cross. God, throughout the Word, has determined that they who rely on the law for eternal life will not inherit eternal life. Those who rely on their works will not inherit eternal life. God has made a sovereign decree that the believer will be justified, saved through Jesus Christ and no one else. Israel didn't seek 
righteousness by faith. They attempted to gain it by the law. I love what the Bible says over in 1 Peter chapter number 2. Let's turn over there quickly. 1 Peter chapter 2 and look at verses 6 through 10. 1 Peter 2, 6 through 10. The Bible tells us, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. The word confounded means to be ashamed. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. Let me do something a little bit different. Is Lord Jesus Christ precious to you today? Why do you say that? Because God, through his electing love, has opened your eyes for him precious. There's a world out there that thinks Christ is not precious. Matter of fact, there are people today who if they knew you came to church here, they'd say, you guys are like all filled with hatred. This isn't hatred. He's precious. But unto them which be disobedient or refuse... The stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. They disallowed him. He which is precious, they rejected the cornerstone. They said, no, we won't have him. Unto you, therefore, which believe he's precious. Verse 8, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He called you out of darkness into the light. Which in time past, here's that same phrase that Paul used, which were not a people but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. You see, when we think about the preciousness of Christ, those who believe in Christ are not ashamed. Now, we've often used that phrase, if you're not ashamed of Christ, then you'll go out and you'll knock on a door and you'll tell someone about Christ. I'm not against that. But it's more than just, are you willing to actually go and tell somebody? Are, are you ashamed to accept the Christ as he is presented? If it is so that Christ and his electing love is who Christ is, are you ashamed of that? I told you that's why people hate this doctrine. They cannot accept a Christ and election go together. Then, biblically speaking, that's to be ashamed of Christ. To say, if Christ is acting in that manner, or if God is acting in that manner, then I just don't believe it. That's to be ashamed of Christ. It isn't just being willing to say, hey, would you like to come to our church? Or here's, it's much more than that. Peter is applying these titles of beloved, a chosen, peculiar. Again, those who hate the doctrine of election would say that all of 1 Peter chapter 2 only refers to Israel. I'll tell you the same thing that I said about Romans 9. If, if 1 Peter chapter 2 only applies to Israel, then the chapter and the whole book makes no sense. They're unconnected thoughts. 
Because all throughout Scripture, the prophecy is, is that this salvation would not just be for the Jews, it would be for the Gentiles. And if the Gentiles did, especially did not have all these first oracles of God, what would they have to open their eyes? They would have the preaching of the gospel, and they would have this wonderful, gloriously truth of God electing those unto salvation. In view of chapter number 9 of Romans and all the truths in the Scriptures, we're going to conclude, I want to give you, and I'm going to do these very quickly, seven glorious truths of election unto salvation. Number one, the doctrine of election unto salvation boldly proclaims that God is sovereign and has the right to do as He pleases. God is sovereign. He has the right to do as He pleases. Number two, the doctrine of election unto salvation that was revealed to the, was revealed to the Jews as a principle of God's government and it still holds true today. Again, you may say, how is that God's government? It all goes back to the sovereignty of God. Number three, the doctrine of election unto salvation is a saving doctrine. To hate the doctrine is to not have confidence in God. Let me ask you today, is there anyone you have full confidence in? Now we might say, if we're smart, we'll say, I have full confidence in my spouse. I have full confidence in my employees. I have full confidence in my pastor. You understand that we're all fallible? And you could have confidence in me personally today and by Wednesday have no confidence in me at all. You know, I could do something so terrible between now and Wednesday that I could go in your eyes from being a source of confidence to someone who can't be trusted. What if God was like that? How horrible would that be to not have full confidence in God, but to simply say, I don't have confidence in God's ability to save. If you say God is in sovereign and salvation, you're also saying God is not qualified to direct affairs of his own creation. By the way, God did create us. You know, you wouldn't have been created had God not created you. Yet man tries to say, I'll, I'll make my own way. The doctrine of election unto salvation is not arbitrary. What does that mean? Well, that means that it's not just random. It's not just your lucky day. Glad I did enough for God to take notice of me. It's all according to his glory. It's not arbitrary. Number five, the doctrine of election unto salvation proves the gospel has been extended to all nations. Who is this for? Every nation. What type of people is it for? Every type. There's not a place in this world, there's not a person in this country, in this, in this, on this planet, who does not deserve to hear the gospel. And when you start determining who deserves to hear and who doesn't, you're trying to play the role of God. You say, even the most wicked, vile person deserves to hear the gospel. That's what the Bible tells us to do. It's never told us to avoid someone. It's been extended to all nations. Number six, the doctrine of election and salvation 
declares believers are eternally safe. I can't guarantee your safety today. Not in this life. I have no guarantees you're going to make it home. I have no guarantees of tomorrow as far as living here, but I do have the promise that the election unto salvation guarantees I am eternally safe because the Bible declares that no one can separate me from God. I have no greater confidence statement to make than that. And that's all based upon election. Number seven, the doctrine of election unto salvation shows people today are still offended at the cross of Christ. To despise this doctrine is to despise God. I've told you folks a little about my own personal testimony. If you really want the full story, I'll, I'll eventually I'll tell you how this all came about. But there was a time I hated this doctrine. There was a time when I, was the, I would have been the man who called me this past week. I would have been the guy saying... Why are you preaching on that? I was the man that said, if, you preach, if I had to preach that, I would never preach again. My exact words. If election is true, I said this, if election is true, I'll never preach again. Election is true and I'm still preaching. There was a day I did not believe this. As a matter of fact, if a man had gotten up and even used the word election, I probably would have got up and left and murmured under my breath what I told you we started this morning. I would have used the two words, damnable heresy. Now this doctrine is not a source of hatred. It is a source because the eyes, my eyes have been opened. God has now revealed to me this is the truth of his word. Is there still time I sit and I look and I question and I say, how can this be so? Sure there is. Some of you have expressed the same kind of concerns to me. Preacher, I still have some concerns about this. I don't tell you to run away from those. I tell you to hit them head on. Ask God to show you. Get in the Word. Study to show yourself approved. If you leave here today and you say, listen, I'm still a little bit confused, don't use that as a means to run. Use that as a way to get closer to God and say, God, show me the truth of this. I found out for a number of years I was preaching an empty gospel because if the doctrine of election isn't true, my gospel was empty. It's the cause of why sinners perish is to deny it. The Jews brought ruin on themselves. So do sinners today who simply say, I'm going to reject Christ. Don't blame election, on, don't blame election for the condemned soul. Again, that's a, this is a difficult struggle. Be careful to use terminology. This isn't one of the seven. Be careful using the terminology that God condemned them to hell or sent them to hell. Be careful how you use that terminology. When we think about this, we think about the doctrines, we think about what we're trying to learn. God's never told us to try to guess. He's never even tried to, he's never even told us to determine who the unconverted are or who the God's elect are. Those who claim to be one of his own can still be unconverted. 
Just because a person says they're in Christ doesn't make it so. But those of us that know we're in Christ today, how should we preach the gospel to every type of person? Do we alter the gospel depending on who the audience is or do we preach the same gospel? You know what the latest fad is? Preach a gospel catered to the audience. Never said, biblically never said that. Never tells us that says cater it. So let's just preach the gospel. Today, the question is, is do you love and rejoice in the doctrine of election and salvation or do you still share a hatred of it? I hope you can say I rejoice in it. I don't hate it. I love the doctrine. Not because it's man-centered. By the way, you'll be accused of following a man if you believe the doctrine of election because man has erroneously said, isn't that doctrine the creation of somebody named John Calvin? John Calvin didn't create this. I'm not a follower of Calvin. I'm not. I'm a follower of the Bible. This was there long before John Calvin ever put it, ever put it to words. The understanding of what we're seeing here today is that we're talking about something that was in existence long before even the greatest preachers of our day. Spurgeon didn't make it up. Spurgeon preached it. He believed every aspect of everything I said today. He would have believed that. You know what's interesting about the ministry of Spurgeon? Though Spurgeon had times in his life when he had these battles with what he really believed and what he thought. He would say this and then he'd have a sermon. You could hear it come out. You can read this. The guy, there's a treasure chest of things to read Spur, Spurgeon's sermons. They are just, you can watch him go from being a very young pastor to being an older pastor, and you can watch what's happening. The more he got into the Word of God, the deeper that it got, and the more glorious the truths are. People like to say and point things out in Spurgeon's ministry by saying, Well, did you read some of the stuff when he was really young? He was way off base there. Listen, we're all growing. We're all growing. I hope to God, if I'm here in 20 years, you better hope I'm deeper and I'm more settled in these truths than what I'm even preaching today. Because if it stops right here, I'm not going to be any earthly good for you. And you won't either. You don't use these doctrines to puff your chest out and say, boy, I'm telling you, I'm glad I'm on the right side. The only thing I have to rejoice is that some reason God, before the foundation of the world, called me into his glorious light and saved me. And to this day, I have no clue why. But I know if I've been called, then I'm to glorify him. I'm to preach the truth. You know, one of the reasons, one of the reasons we began being very intent about what we were doing with our hymn singing is I got very convicted about the doctrines that we're missing. And this book, although it's not perfect, it reflects more of these sound doctrines than most hymn books I've seen in a long time. Again, I told you, it was a point in time when you go to any church and you could pull out the, the hymn in the pew in front of them or wherever their songbook was, you'd see this doctrine all over it. Now you're hard-pressed to find a hymn book that even mentions it. There's a couple of them I came across, and I was not familiar. Some of you may be familiar with this man. I wasn't. I was, I was encouraged by what I read, but I didn't know anything about him. I still don't know much about him. He's in the 18th century. His name is Joseph Hart. There's a hymn out there 
says this regarding election. Why so offensive in their eyes does God's election seem? Because they think themselves so wise that they have chosen him. Election tis a word divine, for Lord I plainly see, had not thy choice preceded mine, I never had chosen thee. It's a glorious truth. But in order to believe that, to be able to sing that, you'd have to acknowledge a truth like it said in John 15, 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. Modern Christianity says that was just for the disciples. And if you want to make that argument, then I got a whole lot of other verses you've got to put the same emphasis on. There's another man who loved this truth, another hymn. 1856. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Josiah Condor, C-O-N-D-O-R. Never heard the hymn. Tis not that I did choose thee, for Lord, that could not be. This heart would still refuse thee. But thou hast chosen me, thou from the sin that stained me, washed me and set me free. And to this end ordained me that I should live to thee. T'was sovereign mercy called me and taught my opening mind. The world had else enthralled me to heavenly beauties blind. My heart owns none above thee, for thy rich grace I thirst. This knowing if I love thee, thou must have loved me first. I don't find anything offensive in that at all. If anything, I find that comforting to know that it was the Lord who did it. It was the Lord who provided. Listen, I know there's going to be struggles I know that we're going to have moments in our life when we're going to say, if God is sovereign, why? And if this is true, then why this? And who this? And what about this person? Consider your own soul. Just consider your own soul. You know, those men that wrote those hymns, you don't write that unless you have an understanding of it. And you believe it. One day we'll see Prayerfully, we'll see part of what God's glory and God's intent was for all of it. But until then, I hope you can say, I rejoice in the doctrine of election unto salvation. I hope you're not one of the millions that say, I hate that doctrine. As I gave you that example today, I'm still, I'm shaken by that because I'm shaken for that man to say, God is not sovereign. That church is meeting right now. And I don't know how you can stand behind a desk and preach if you don't believe God's sovereign. I don't know how you, I don't know how you do it. Again, no names, no locations. I just want you to pray about it because, again, that was the hatred I experienced this week because of this from a Baptist pastor. And I hope you'll pray for him. Let's stand all around, if you will. We're going to pray, and then I'm going to give you just a quick uh, scripture from the Word, and then we'll be dismissed. Uh, again, we're going to try to. We are going to meet today. We'll meet in the Fellowship Center. So if you're able to stay, please plan on staying. If you have questions about that meeting, you can come and see me, and uh, we will try to be as brief as we can. But let's pray, and uh, let's uh, pray that the Lord will 
seal these truths in our heart. 